What's up, everybody? We are back for another edition of the Iron Grit Show and just want to send out a huge, massive thank you um, to all the support and the love that we've been getting. Um, I get I get DMs on Instagram of just like impactful and how thoughtful um, our guests have been and the information flow. And just thank you to all of our past guests and future guests. It's It's been a journey and it's, you know, Tyrell and I are both super busy and uh, we 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 get uh, we get tied up with life and things that we're doing and family. We're both family men, and and then all of a sudden we're like, oh crap, <laughs> we got it. We got to record some episodes. And then every time we get together, we just love this time. And and I'm I'm an introvert by nature, and um, I'm surprised at how much I've enjoyed um, getting to know people and to talk to people. And I travel a lot. I talk to a lot of people, but to get to get to do these deep dives. Um, it, it's it's kind of been been really special. And I know you've commented too how much you've been it's, it's enjoying it. It almost feels addicting. I know. Like I just want to just talk. <laughs> I know. It's... And we've got an amazing guest today. Like today's going to be this is going to be mind blower. I think. I, I, like, I, think, I, think I, I think so too. And I followed this gentleman's journey for for quite some time. And I was mind blown when he did it the first time. And then when he, he shows up and says, "I'm going to do it again," um, just to to reset history to make. Make everybody who was an unbeliever a believer again, and I'm, we're obviously going to let him share his story. But um, longtime friend and total stud, Drew Manning. Um, you you know him on Instagram as Fit to Fat to Fit. Drew, welcome to the show, brother. How are you, man? You, you're Tyrell. definitely in the fit stage. I'm looking at you, and I'm super jealous. Like I'm, I'm like glad I got a shirt on. We got two. We got shirt, We got we got fit to fat to fit to fat. That's, a, that's what we got here. I don't know about that. You guys are looking pretty fit these days, you know. Man, I am so excited. Like I'm the same as James. Like I'm, I'm gonna admit, I'm kind of a, a closet fan. Like I'm, I'm so amazed with what you did the first time you did it. I was like, well, this guy is freaking Thank crazy. You. Like, and the pictures, like obviously the pictures are, like if anybody on here hasn't heard of this, like just quickly Google fit to fat to yeah. fit and just look at any image like it will absolutely blow your mind so introduce yourself to us real quick just uh some, sure. some high level who you are what you're passionate about and then we'll dive into some details yeah really quick those pictures if people googled it, it, it they're not photoshopped because i know a lot of people are oh look, yeah like, oh that's fake bro that's not even real it's like no it's it's real so Dude, i just want to throw that to, out there <laughs> that, that has to be one of the biggest things you battle is that photoshop area we're entering into an unprecedented AI era. And I, yes. I believe you're just going to keep getting inundated with that kind of stuff. But I, I Drew used to live by me and I, I witnessed yeah. it firsthand. I've seen him in real life face to face. Um, but let's, let's, yeah. just, let's yeah. wait, let me so you. much. I'm like, <laughs> so, Drew, who, who are you, my man? Yeah. So, so my name is Drew Manning. A lot of people know me as the fit to fit to fit guy, like you said, but so a little bit about my backstory. I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters and I'm one of eight boys or yeah, one of eight boys in, in the family. And so we grew up playing sports. I grew up playing football and wrestling since I was a young kid. And so all I ever knew my entire life was, you know, I was in shape uh, just naturally as a you know byproduct of living that type of a lifestyle, very active, very fit, very healthy. Fast forward to 2009. I became certified as a personal trainer because I was like, oh, I'm, I'm into health and fitness. You know, I've always kind of been in shape. Let me kind of take this to the next level, started helping people out. So here I was, someone who had never been overweight a day in my life, you know, trying to help people who were overweight pretty much every day of their life, right? And for me in my mind, I'm like, it's so easy. Here's your meal plans. Here's your macros. You know, here's your workouts. You just do the work and then boom, you see the results. And I couldn't understand why my clients just struggled 
to, to do the things that for me was so easy, right? You just stay disciplined, you put in the work and then boom, you see results. And my clients, you know, they would mess up or like skip a workout here and there. And I would get so frustrated. Like, why don't you just do it? Like you just <laughs> do it. Right. That was my mentality. Like, Hey, what, you know, I love you? that you say that. Cause I feel the same way. I'm like, you know what to do. I'm telling you what to do. Why are you not doing it? Like I totally get yeah. it. So it was super frustrating for me. But then I had one client who was my brother-in-law at the time. He told me, he's like, you know, Drew, you don't understand what it's like for me or for people like me, because for you, it's always been easy. And I'm like, you're right. I, uh, I don't have anything to say to that other than I, I agree with you. And so it kind of forced me to look inside, like, okay, what is something that I can do to gain a better understanding? Like, why is it so hard for people? Why do so many people struggle with this? And because in my mind, I'm like, it's just so simple, right? And so this idea of fit to fat to fit of getting fat on purpose kind of entered my mind because of that. And it's like this light bulb went off, like, okay, what if I actually do this? And I, it was back in 2011 and I was talked to my wife who was pregnant at the time. And she was like, so you're telling me you're going to do this experiment. You're going to gain some weight and there's going to be junk food in the house finally. And <laughs> I think she was excited for that part of it. She's like, yeah, you should totally do it. Um, and you know, I ran the idea past some friends and family and things like that. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, dude, that's crazy. You should totally do it, bro. And my mom was the only one that was like concerned for my health and like, no, you shouldn't do this. But, you know, fast forward a little bit, I ended up gaining 75 pounds in six so real, months. So real quick, before you go like deep into that, yeah, like yeah. was your original intention like, hey, I'm going to be like, I want to almost get obese. Like I want to go 75 pounds or are you just like, hey, I just want to get out of shape. That's a good question. No. So I, you know, the goal was uh, to gain maybe 60, 50, 60 pounds. Well, actually, let me back up before that, because a lot of people don't know this. My original idea was to do it for a whole year, to gain weight for a whole year, maybe 100 pounds or something. Luckily, my wife at the time was a lot smarter than me. She talked me down to six months. She's like, a year is kind of a long time. Yeah, that's a lot. Let's do six months. And so I'm grateful for that. I really am because it ended up being one of the hardest, most humbling things I've ever done. Ended up getting 75 pounds in those six months. There wasn't like a cap or a maximum amount of weight that I was trying to gain and then stop. It was six months, you know, as much weight as I could gain in those six months. No exercise. That's the other thing is a lot of people are like, oh, that's a bulking diet. A lot of bodybuilders do it. And like the difference is I was doing zero exercise. So it was 75 pounds of pure fat. There was no lifting. There was no like gaining mass during that time. It was so just super sedentary mass. life. Like you, you're just chilling and eating everything you see. Yeah. I really wanted to dive into what it was like to be overweight so that I could gain that better understanding. Um, in a shortened period of time, obviously not everyone does this experiment and gains the weight in six months. It's, you know, maybe five, 10 pounds a year, kids, family finances, things get in the way life happens. And before, you know, after five, six years of that, you're 50, 60 pounds heavier. I did it in a shortened period of time in six months. How, how many, how many calories were you consuming? <laughs> what like, what were you eating? Like, like I just, I can't even, <laughs> like I was eating, I was eating 12,000 calories, 12,000 to 15,000 calories a day. But wow. I was moving for 14 hours a day. And so, I mean, yeah. I joke all the time from stage and I'm like, I'm releasing a brand new diet. You can eat 15,000 <laughs> calories a day and you'll be six and a half percent body fat in 100 days. And it always, it always gets a laugh and a chuckle. And so how, literally how many calories were you, were did you, you did eating? Did you keep track of it? Uh, when I did it in 2011, I didn't really keep track, but if I estimated it was around five to 6,000 a day, but that was being 100% sedentary, right? So like, you know, not burnt, not burning a whole lot of calories with, with, that almost seems so, like you weren't even trying. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't trying. Those numbers up. Those it's, are average it's numbers. <laughs> Five to six thousand calories a day was was quite a bit, to be honest with you. But here's the thing: eating highly processed. So this is the types of foods that I ate. Because I saw Morgan Spurlock do supersize right, me. Right, right. Yeah, he ate McDonald's three times a day for thirty days straight, and he almost died. Right, and so I think most people know: okay, fast food, bad. Stay away from that stuff. Right. But the food that I focus on was everyday, typical Americans, American foods that we grew up with in the 70s, 80s. You know, we're talking about like sugary cereals, sugary sodas, juices, granola bars, chips, cookies, crackers, Hot Pockets, you know, SpaghettiOs, uh, Top Ramen. Yeah, you're describing my diet. This is <laughs> stoked. Yeah, that's, that's what was fed to us. That's the marketing, you know, that we kind of bought into in the 80s of like, oh, this is for breakfast. We're supposed to have sugary cereal, right. toast, and orange juice, right? That was a complete American breakfast. And then, right. you know, a couple of peanut butter sandwiches and like some Pringles for lunch and, you know, snacks in between. And then like white mm -hmm. pasta, marinara sauce, meatballs, yeah. garlic bread, and then maybe some ice cream at night and cookies before you go to bed. And that was kind of uh, how I ate, except for once a week, I would do a crazy man versus food type of food challenge where I would kind of take on like these epic food challenges in Utah. There was a few, I can't remember the name, uh, Lucky 13's, uh, one of those places that I definitely failed that one. I'm not sure if you guys want to Google that. But it's, a, it's a, like a huge burger, and then you have to eat this like habanero, this super spicy grilled cheese sandwich, and then a ton of fries. And if you do it, you're supposed to – I think you win like $1,000. At least that's what the prize was back then. Where, where, so once a week, this, I would do that. Where is this at? Lucky 13 in Salt Lake City. So I there you go, James. <laughs> no, I'm definitely not. I, 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 I can't do hot stuff. I Anytime I go anywhere and eat like Thai, or, I'm just like, zero, zero spice. I want zero spices on that. <laughs> I, I one of my friends just opened up uh houston's hot chicken here in the valley and oh, yeah. um, they have that same kind of challenge if you can if you can eat their level houston uh, houston we have a problem um yes you win, you win a prize <laughs> and whatnot so hey if you ever need if you're ever back visiting in utah okay. stop by houston's hot chicken and um and and check check that out just check out houston we have a problem so, so really kind of sum it up drew like and, and we say this all the time you can't outwork a crappy diet and so yeah. not only were you not working but you were eating just yeah. Good old fashioned American junk. Yeah, but this is this is the stuff that I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's disgusting. But I would say 80% of the American population gravitates toward this food. And here's Guaranteed. why this is important because this food is designed to be hyper palatable. These companies spend millions of dollars on food scientists to come up with, you know, uh, research and testing to figure out what food combinations and flavors and coloring and marketing is the most addictive, right? And so there's that. And then there's the, the convenience of these foods. Like it's so convenient just to go into your pantry, open up a, a bag of Doritos or like have cereal with milk. And like, you know, the convenience is, is definitely a factor. Then you have the affordability. You have this these processed foods that are subsidized. So like corn, wheat, and soy, all those products, um, they're going to be cheaper than real whole foods. So people have to spend more money to buy organic or grass-fed. So it's an uphill battle. And then Let's be honest. They these foods taste freaking good. Like my drug of choice back then was cinnamon toast crunch. I'm not gonna lie. It's like crack yeah. cocaine, twice a day. <laughs> it's so good. And I get why people get stuck in this habit of eating this way year after year, decade after decade, and then try and give them a meal plan and be like, okay, here's your chicken and broccoli meal plan. And like, dude, this sucks. Like my, you know, your brain doesn't light up. The the dopamine hit isn't the same from chicken and broccoli that you would get from like cinnamon toast crunch or ice cream or Mountain Dew, uh, which are a lot of the foods that I ate during that, that weight gain process. And so it really opened up my eyes to how powerful 
food addiction is and how powerful the emotional connection to food is. And I think a lot of us just kind of sweep that under the rug, like, oh, food addiction, that does, it's not really real. You just willpower your way out of it. Well, it's similar <clears throat> in how it works from a um, you know um, brain chemistry perspective of the dopamine release that we get from eating these foods, especially if you're sad, you're going through hard times. There is something to say to the dopamine hit that you get from having you know these types of foods multiple times per day just like a drug addict would have access to their drug and feel good when they're sad or going through hard times or alcohol you know we we gravitate towards substances as humans to deal with the pain the emotional pains of life we like to escape we like to numb we like to distract ourselves from those uncomfortable emotions and this is why people get stuck in these habits of whether it's food addiction drugs uh you know sex alcohol porn there's so many escapes that are available to us as humans nowadays it's so much easier just to like numb and distract with food or other substances than it is to face you know these uncomfortable emotions and go to therapy or meditate or journal right do the hard stuff to deal with it instead of suppress 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 if that makes sense that's the term comfort food you're, yes, comfort you're uncomfortable. <laughs> you go eat something that makes you feel comfortable, give you that dopamine hit, and then sucks you. And so, yeah. not to jump too far ahead here, but no, I yeah. want to go back for a second. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm on the same track. Like your your brother in law kind of challenged this, and so you you're like, oh, now I kind of get it, right? Well, one hundred percent. Yeah, and what what I want to go back to is so so you grew up similar to me, similar to Tyrell. We were into sports and we were wrestlers, yes. and and that that became our life. And I, I believe sports uh started my mindset journey um but yes. more than that it 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 solidified a discipline um and and you know you hear a lot of guys like Jocko and Andy Purcell and all these guys talk about the importance of discipline over motivation and and how that's the driving force and I I, I kind of went on a similar journey to where I, I was a wrestler I grew up I'd always been fit um I developed that 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 skill set of discipline uh, we're not, you're not born with that. You develop that as a skill set. And so I developed, I developed discipline as a kid into wrestling and, and, and combat sports and, and just loved it. And then I did the same thing. I started being a personal trainer and, and people would always say to me, you, you don't understand what it's like. And so I'm going to ask you this question. This could be a little bit controversial. <laughs> it, sure. Is it, can you have empathy for the person that is trying to lose weight, even though you didn't have to lose weight? Because in order to lose weight, you have to exercise discipline and structure. And you are being faulted for not maybe having that. But to stay fit for that long period of a time, you had to have discipline and structure. So maybe break down, is there a difference between that? Is not 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 necessarily is one more impressive than the other, but sure. could you push back on that a little bit and say, look, man, I understand that you're you're we're dealing with this and I don't know exactly what that is. But I've chosen to be disciplined for a very long period of time to maintain this level. Does, does that make sense yeah. what I'm asking? My, my, my kind of argument with yeah, what yeah. James is saying is, and, and I and I really want your perspective. Like James just said, sure. I, I've had this argument actually at, in a church setting where uh -huh. to me, <laughs> I was like, hey, it's harder to live the way I live. And and you've been through this. So I'd love your perspective. Yeah. It's harder to live on chicken and broccoli than it is to just stop and get a piece of pizza at Costco. And so yeah. you like you've experienced it. Like, what's your like exactly what James said? What's your what's your perspective on yeah. that? Yeah, because to me, so I think I, I think like living a healthy lifestyle is hard. That's not easy. 
It is. And I would say this experiences shape our beliefs. And so for me, my experiences growing up was I got into sports at a very young age, which taught me that discipline. And so I developed that from a very young age of having that discipline, being able to push myself to do hard things, which is difficult. It's not easy, right? To sacrifice and cut weight for, to make weight for wrestling, right? You're, you, you, you force yourself to do it. You learn at a young age how to do that versus let's say someone else didn't get into sports or didn't have a parent figure or a coach teach them about discipline. And so they just went through life kind of wishy-washy, like, oh, okay, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I'm going to drown my sorrows in food. No judgment um, at all, because I think, like I said, we all kind of escape in our own ways. But let's say someone grew up that way. This is why I have so much empathy is because, you know, of the experiences that I had versus the experiences that someone else had. I can't say like, dude, just, just do it. Like, like I can do it. So you can do it. Therefore you should be able to do what I do, but I haven't had their experiences. And so I would say this first journey in 2011 really humbled me to the point of like, I didn't have any empathy before. I couldn't understand why it was so hard. Right. This opened up my eyes to just how hard it is for some people because I didn't have their experiences growing up. Maybe there was abuse. Maybe there was, some emotional traumas that they had to deal with as a kid and food was their escape food was their comfort right now and I, it's a hundred, for each person yeah and i a thousand percent agree with you and i love the phrase experience to shape our beliefs um but do, do you think it's completely fair to say from their perspective you can't possibly understand what I'm going through in order to do this when you've displayed a level of mm-hmm. discipline for a long period of time can, can we not have empathy for someone else's situation, having a different experience than they've had, recognizing that those experiences may be different because we're both sitting here in the same place at the same time. Yeah. But is it is it possible that we can have empathy and not have to go through an overweight, loss weight? Yes. 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 Okay. Yes, 100%. Because empathy for me is listening to understand. Listening to – and when someone feels understood, they feel safe. And when they feel safe, they're more willing to listen to you instead of have their defenses up, right? So this is why empathy is such a, a an art to learn how. And I think humans, we've lost the ability to empathize because we judge so quickly, like social media posts and the way things are now. We're like, oh, you, you're that uh, religion or you're that political affiliation? Okay, I'm going to judge you and put you in this box, right? And I think we've lost the ability to truly understand. But I will say this, empathy without boundaries is enabling. So it's one thing to listen wow. and understand. Say, say, that, say that again. Yeah, that's deep. Like, say that's say that again. Yeah. Empathy without boundaries is enabling. So 100%. you can listen, 100%. understand them, hear their story, and be like, I hear you. I, I totally understand why you are the way you are. I understand why you do what you do. But then to move forward from that, you have to set healthy boundaries so that that person realizes you're not just enabling their behavior. Like, okay, then keep doing the drugs, keep eating the food. It's like, I get why you do that. I understand it must be hard, but do you want to stay stuck there or do you want to love yourself enough to move forward from that and not stay in the victim mindset? If that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. That was so impactful. Anybody listening right now, push that little 15 second back three times and go re-listen to that. And if you tune out, like you've gained every bit of uh, quality value out of this as that was, that was deep, Drew. I really appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No worries. So in terms of um, um, empathy, coming off the 100, um, I was broken doing the 100 consecutive and um, I had to (laughs) completely stop. I had to completely stop moving and just like you, I just, I had this appetite because I was burning super high metabolically and I can continue to consume. 
8,000 calories a day and not like you, but over the next year, I put on 30 pounds. And remember you talking to me about this. Yeah, I really struggled. And you and I kind of had a lunch meeting and and talked about it. It was almost like a drug deal in a parking lot. And yeah, it's kind of how it felt, but you, you were super kind and you listened to, to me. And again, it was that empathy. Um, and mm-hmm. I had, I, I was just really struggling and I put on that weight and it, it did because I was in that same position as you as, as far, in terms of like, look, I've been in shape my entire life and I can have empathy for you, but it, it changed the way I looked at the individuals. And I truly understood how difficult it is because those 30 pounds were yeah. really, really hard for me to shake and get out because it was just, I got, I got addicted to kind of sitting around. I got addicted to yeah. eating those comfort foods. Like we've been talking about. And it was, man, the last two years have been so incredibly challenging for me. And it, it changed my perspective on it. Now I had empathy before, but I had a yeah. more relatable empathy now yeah. because it was the exact same situation. And so I agree with both these camps. And I, I respect the person that has been disciplined for a long time and didn't allow themselves to get out to have to come back. And I yeah. also now really have empathy for the person that like, look, I, I didn't know these things before. And I have dealt with these yeah. traumas and I've, I've slipped into this place and I want to change, but I don't know how, and I need your support and I need your empathy. And so I, I'm really glad that you went on this journey. Um, what what were the effects on your mind mentally um, that yeah. grind after having put the weight back on having to now you have to flip that switch and now you've got an addiction problem yeah and you've got this has all got to be in the mind because now you've got to start working out again and you're addicted to food because I, I, <laughs> I like I, I I just made that assumption but do you think you became addicted yeah. to certain comfort foods did you feel those? like did you, did feel, you that? feel that addiction that's a good question I I wouldn't say addiction, addiction is a strong word for me, right? And for me, I wouldn't say I was addicted to it, but I would say I had these intense cravings that were more powerful than I thought they would be. And so let me go into the mindset aspect, the mental part of it, because you asked about that. But let me differentiate between Fit to Fat to Fit 1.0 in 2011 and Fit to Fat to Fit 2.0 in 2020 as a 40-year-old, because those are two different journeys, two different experiences. I'm sure we'll get into the second one. You're 40? (laughs) Dude, like you 42. look like you're like 42, bro. You see his gray what hairs the right heck? there. You see his gray dude, hairs. I am so up, dude. I'm going home dying my beard. I'm going to a suntanning booth. I'm, I'm getting hair extensions for sure. Right? <laughs> 40, 42. Yeah, so, so there was. So the first time you were was this nine years, ten years? Uh, it was now twelve years ago, 2011. So 30, 30 to 40. 30 to 40, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so did you did you years. notice a massive difference between those two? Because I having been, I mean, I'm, James is my best friend, and and having watched his experience, the, there was a massive difference between the fifty yeah. and the hundred. Like, yeah, age makes it age catches us, man. It's true. Okay, so the, the first experience that was my first time being overweight ever, and so I'll be totally honest. I I freaked out. I had a huge identity crisis because I've never been overweight, and here I am gaining this weight. And my whole life, I, my identity was Drew the fit guy. Like this is, you know, I've always been in shape. So being, yeah. yeah, being overweight for the first time, I was so uncomfortable. I wanted to go up to strangers in public and explain to them like, hey, you guys, I'm not really overweight. This is just an experiment. I don't know. I don't look like this. Like, here's my before picture. Just go to this website. I'll explain everything. Like I wanted to go and explain to people. And I never took my shirt off. I was so uncomfortable having my shirt off and being overweight for the first time. It was truly, truly humbling that first experiment. Fast forward to 2020, a lot of life happened. I went through a divorce, left my religion, hit rock bottom, 
started going to therapy, meditating, working on myself to better myself as a human and embraced and, and learned, learned how to love myself, learned how to operate out of a place of self-love just to make a long story short. So the second time around, I had no problem taking my shirt off. I totally embraced the dad bod, you know, um, was not worried at all about my body. Um, yeah, I was uncomfortable for sure to be overweight, but I knew now having done it once, I'm like, look, my body is a temporary thing. It's not always going to be this fit person. It's not always going to be this fat person. Our bodies can change. And so if you create an identity around your body image as your self-image, you're kind of setting yourself up for heartache in the future. And this is what yeah, it, the first- that. Yeah, this is what the first fit to fit taught me was, you know, I am not my body. My body is a part of me. It can do these amazing things. But if I create an identity around this, maybe, Jamie, you can relate to this where you did your thing and then, you know, the thing was over and you're like, OK, well, who am I? What am I? What am I like what's supposed to look like or do now? And it's and you gain this weight. and You're like, well, damn, I, I don't know if we can cuss on here. Sorry. <laughs> but i'll keep no, it pg rated. if you heard some of the clients we've had that's a zero yeah okay no, cool i wasn't sure i was like I'll, shit. Say, I'll say this i'll say this on the podcast so lucy can hear it tyrell's yeah. been banned for at least a month no, for inviting on. us onto the show because lucy's like i can't edit these military guys' language out. i've got so, some amazing friends they're navy still yeah they're, they, they're rough they cuss they cuss like yeah, yeah. so so that lucy is like, like no drew we'll, is an angel we'll <laughs> like damn it dang it <laughs> no but it's just it's just, it's this thing where you know if your body image becomes your self-image you, you you realize that you know you have to be there's more to you than your body and this is what i say to everyone out there that's either overweight or that's in shape don't create an identity around your body because your body can and will change eventually and this is what happens when like women will freak out because they're aging and they're like oh my gosh i have wrinkles and they they kind of go through this depression in, in, in a sense and i did that the first fit to fat to fit but luckily through the work I had done, the self uh, work I did throughout the years to do it again in 2020 really taught me a lot. And so the mental part wasn't as hard, but I will say this about my second journey. And this is something that you said, James, where you you said you had empathy, but now you had more relatable empathy. And, and I went through a really hard breakup with my girlfriend in the middle of my yeah. fit to fat journey where I was gaining weight in 2020. And that just like, you know, sent me to rock bottom again. And now I was eating the food initially I was eating the food to gain the weight. Now I was eating the food to suppress my emotions and numb the pain of the breakup, feeling sad, lonely, depressed. And that's where it clicked for me. Like, Oh, this is why people get addicted to food. This is why people get stuck in these cycles of like trauma happens, breakups, divorces, hitting rock bottom moments, food, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn. There's so many things that we can escape to that become this vicious cycle of numbing, coping, suppressing, but then still feeling like shit inside and just creating that cycle. And so for me, I, I, it really opened up my eyes and I have so much more empathy for those that really do struggle with food addiction and the emotional connection to food. Dude, I, sorry, emotional for me here. Like I literally just got the chills because like, I, I felt that. Unfortunately, I went through a divorce too. And, and so the, we all cope and, you know, compensate and we cope different ways. And, and it truly does bring a level of empathy. Like I, the more I listen to you, the more I realize like, yeah, you obviously went through a very hard physical journey, but this is really mental. Like there's yeah. so much mental through this and that you learned and that you valued. And I, I don't think we can overstate how important that is to not have our identity tied to our bodies or what our job profession is. Like realizing what you said, like that literally gave me chills that you're like, no, I realize this is not who I am. Like I know who I am internally yeah, yeah. and that's what I'm working on. I'm trying to get better every day. And honestly, that's what this show's about. Like we're hoping mm -hmm. that people can hear your story and read your story and see what you went through. And 
and be better every day. Like, dude, that's like huge respect, man. Huge respect. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And this is kind of what I'm on a mission to kind of disrupt the fitness industry because in, in fitness, it's all about the physical side, right? Like macros, calories, workouts, you just do it. Like we'll power your way through it and just like no excuses. Right. But then people who have been through some serious emotional traumas or challenges are like, okay, this is my year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to willpower my way through it. And then two months in, three months in, they're like, you know, uh, the emotions of life are still there. The traumas that those, those triggers and those habits are and patterns that have been developed for years and decades, their brains are stuck in these loops, these vicious cycles of like self-destruction and self-sabotage and self-hate and inner self-talk of like, you're not good enough. You're always going to fail. And then I could give them the best meal plans. I could give them the best workouts and the best supplements that will help them and like try and motivate them and push them. But until they believe that they're worth it, they just fall back into those patterns again. And this is why physical transformation is so much more mental and emotional than people think. And this is why I think we need more empathy for those that maybe are overweight. And instead of judging them, like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you stop eating the junk food and get to the gym like I can? It, like I said, experiences shape our beliefs. And until they break free from those emotional traumas and challenges and, and loops that they've been stuck in, <clears throat> then the change will probably never happen for them. And this is why I have such an emphasis and focus now, more so on the mental and emotional side. Like, sure, I help people with meal plans and workouts, but that's not the battle that they're, you know, trying to overcome. It's the 100%. internal battle of self-hate and not feeling worthy to have that change, right? They want it, but they still struggle with, I would say, most people's self-worth, self-hate, and self-sabotage. And it's a it's something that's really hard to overcome. Uh, but it takes time to rewire your brain. I do think the brain is um, malleable and they call it neuroplasticity. I do believe your brain can be rewired. You can be, uh, you can be retaught how 100%. to love yourself and feel worthy again. Well, I just, I just went 100%. through that. I just went through that whole process of rewiring my brain. Um, after the hundred, I, I was stuck in fight or flight. I couldn't get to parasympathetic and I, yeah. I, I got some amazing treatment that fortunately it was, it was accessible to us. Yeah, um, yeah. you, 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 you're of the era. You'll remember the show biggest loser. Yeah. Yep. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I don't know the number. I know it's really high. Um, it's, it's in, in the upper nineties of the amount of individuals that lost the weight and then they, they put it back on. And it was because it's, it's a staggering number. I think it's like 0.1, whatever percent that actually keep yeah. the weight off. And it's because it's exactly what you're referencing is it's the emotional side of stuff. It's the experience that, that is that, that drives that activity. So let me ask you this, um, with your, you, you know, your new passion, not new passion, but the direction you're going and the realization that, yeah. look, you can, you can give people meal plans all you want. You can give them reps and sets and, and eventually they're going to fall off that rail because they're living in a past belief system that has shaped their current reality. And so what is, if any, if you can share some of the best resources available to the masses today, that'll help shift that mindset is it just straight good old-fashioned go to therapy or or what are some of the what are your top tricks and trades for individuals that are listening today that feel completely hopeless that don't believe in themselves that are losing the conversation with themselves on the daily basis they don't have the courage to start where, where can they go for that mental toughness building that yeah. capacity to that resilience to do that rewiring like you're talking about because yeah. i mean i'm in that camp the, the emotional side of it Every physical ailment is tied to an emotion. And until you deal with those emotions, that physical component or ailment is going to keep coming back at you. And so 
until you yeah. until you really break it down and humble yourself and get to the emotion or the root, mm-hmm. you're going to keep dealing with these physical issues. So what have you found to be effective for the, for the people that's accessible that people can overcome? Yeah. There's a really good book called uh, Willpower Doesn't Work by Benjamin Hardy. Really Willpower Doesn't book. Work? Yeah, willpower doesn't work. And in the book, he talks about how, you know, most people try and willpower their way to a new lifestyle, but basically it comes down to, you know, humans are the ultimate adaptation machines and humans adapt to their environment. And so the way to create change, lasting change, is to create a new environment that you adapt to. And then change becomes a byproduct of adapting to that new environment. So you have to radically transform, change up your environment. You can't be hanging out with the same friends. You can't be doing the same routines. You can't be buying the same foods. You have to totally radically, you know, shift your environment. So for me, that's, uh, you know, reading books, listening to podcasts instead of, you know, binge watching Netflix and, and shows and movies and stuff like that. Hold on. Um, hold on therapy is great. Oh. Hold on. I, I can't sit at home all day and play video games <laughs> and expect change to happen. It's not, my passion's not going to come running and find me. Is that what I'm hearing, Drew? This is... This is, this is, this is shattering news you're you're delivering here, Drew. Come on. Exactly. No, but it's, it's about learning how to reshape your environment. And so reshaping your environment is, you know, changing your friends, um, you know, changing up your routine. And I would say for me, I went through this myself, even though I wasn't trying to lose weight after my divorce and leaving my religion and hitting rock bottom, I was like, okay, who do I want to become? And that's for me, I started to read books, listen to podcasts, um, I, I learned how to meditate, uh, which I've never really learned how to do. And meditation doesn't have, have to be this woo-woo weird thing that people think it is. Really what it is is it helps you take a step back and become the observer of your thoughts. Instead of attaching yourself to every thought, every negative emotion that we feel, we attach ourselves to as if that's our identity. Meditation helps you zoom out. And observe these thoughts just come and go. And instead of attaching these thoughts, like I'm a failure, I suck, I don't deserve this, you know, you're always going to be overweight, you can take a step back and just observe that those are all parts of you. And those are all thoughts that are coming and going, but you don't, you get to choose you're as the observer, you get to choose. And so that's what meditation does is it helps you uh, not get stuck uh, to those powerful thoughts and emotions that kind of like pull us in. Um, if you don't like therapy, you could uh, do journaling instead. Journaling is a great way to kind of zoom out again, like I talked about. Um, you know, uh, let's see, new friends. And um, I, I would say those are some great places to get started that really helped me. Um, I also hired a life coach. Um, and yeah, th- that that for me was, was huge. And I think that these types of tools, tips, tricks, hacks can really help people change up their environment. Uh, to to make some change in their life. And then and from there, either hire an accountability partner, a coach, find a support group, whether it's online, an online community, or in person, whether it's your spouse or your friends or someone to keep you accountable. Um, that's why I love like the 75 hard approach, like, you know, doing something radical where you have like, you have to do this thing straight for 75 days. I think that's a great approach for a lot of people um, to do some hard things. But here's the here's the, the big trick. Doing hard things, a lot of people can do and Unfortunately, a lot of people learn how to do that from a place of self-hate. And self-hate, you can motivate yourself for a short period of time to do some really, really hard things. And I think that's valuable in some instances, like wrestling, football, disciplining yourself as a kid. Sometimes it, it is coming from a place of self-hate, like, you know, man up and do that. Like, I think that's valuable to some extent. But as you get older, you're not competing in sports anymore. I think shifting from self-hate to self-love and then using self-love to motivate yourself to do hard things from a place of worthiness. Like I am worthy 
to have good physical health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, and doing it from a place of self-love is way more fulfilling. It's way more lasting. And then once you start to believe in yourself and, and you love yourself genuinely, then you see these things that you used to think of as chores or punishment. Now you see those things as like, oh, I love this process because it feels good to me. It feels good to sleep eight hours through the night. It feels good to have good digestion, to have good sex, to have good mental clarity and good energy throughout the day. Like, oh, I like treating myself you know, kindly, you know, and a lot of people mistake self-love for, you know, like, like eat, binge watching Netflix shows and eating ice cream. That's not self-love. Self-love is doing hard things in the short term that do suck in the moment, but that bring long-term fulfillment and happiness in the long run. And that's true self-love. Self-love isn't just like massage and like, you know, there's a time and place for that kind of stuff. But I think for me, self-love is like when I did my hundred miler, uh, what was it? two years ago, three years ago now, actually you helped me train for that, James. I appreciate that still, by the way, because I wouldn't have been able to do it without your help. Um, it, was, it came from a place of self-love. And there was moments where I'm like, okay, Drew, you got to push yourself freaking hard now. Like we're going to do this, but it wasn't like beating myself up. And I, there's a difference. There's a switch that happens when you operate out of self-love versus self-hate. And, and people think, oh, if I love myself, then I'm not going to want to do anything hard. That's not self-love. And that's kind oh, of no, what I, I'm trying to yeah, And I, I love that. Um, so I actually had this discussion. We had a good friend of ours, um, a Navy SEAL that was on our podcast and swore a lot. Sorry, Lucy, um, that just passed away. And I actually discussed that with him that morning. Um, he he just made Sorry the comment. To hear that. It, it had such a good conversation with him. And he'd made the comment that he, he, he just said, he's like, look, I want everybody's life to be better because I talked to them and I've touched them. And he goes, if I could teach them anything, it'd be to love themselves. And his perspective, and I think you're the exact same as he said, look, I realized that if I truly love myself, then I want my body to be healthy and I want to put good food into it and I want to do exercise and I want to be better emotionally and I want to be better. And so he's like, when I started realizing I loved myself, he goes, I was truly trying to make my life better because yeah, I, yeah. I want to take care of that vessel and I want to take care of that yes. spirit and I want to, my family to all be better. And I, I feel like you're saying the same thing. Like I, it's, yeah, I, 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 like I can't overemphasize. That. I just saw on Instagram, it was a beautiful analogy and it was this old guy and he was like, okay, Everybody in the car, everybody in the classroom, you get, um, you can pick the car of your dreams. You get to pick the color, you get to pick the model, you get to pick everything. And one of the kid goes, okay, well, what's the catch? And he's like, there is a catch. You get one car the rest of your life. And I promise you, you will take care of that vehicle very differently than if you, oh, every five years, I'm going to get a new car. And yeah. he related that to our bodies. And he said, yeah. if you knew, which is true, we only get one body and one mind what would we do differently realizing, hey, we can't go level up our, our car uh, or our bodies at a, at a used car lot and just pick out the next new one. And it takes that type of, of um, respect. And, and also yeah. listening to you, I, I heard in order to make the positive changes you want in your life to escape the path that you're on, you have to show up with intent. Yeah. You have to show up with intent. You have to have purpose. It's going to take effort and action and all of that to me equals discipline. And that's what we've been talking about this whole time. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but if you if you continue to choose comfort in the path of least resistance, eventually your only option will be discomfort because everything yeah. will be stripped away from you. <clears throat> but if you intentionally yeah, yeah. choose discomfort, like you're talking about, you will have the choice always of, I wanna be comfortable today and I wanna be discomfort, uh, uncomfortable now. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing to realize. And, and again, if, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're talking about 
massing or amassing little tiny wins along the journey and the process that builds that confidence and that builds that yes. momentum of self-love. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And everybody's try. everybody right now has got this, like, I got to go all in. I got to go big. I got to go. I got to swing for the fences right now. And I'm like, no, dude, just back it up. And there's yeah. going to be a moment in time where you're going to look back and you're going to miss the beautiful grind that you're in on the daily. That's called the process. And yeah. I, I, I look back on it, man. And I'm like, I, sometimes I wish that I was still on the trail suffering and in so much pain and the tears rolling down my face and the community rallying around you. Like I miss it. No, trust me. I don't miss it that much, but like there's moments, <laughs> like there's moments where I'll sit down and be like, damn, I, I, I really miss that. And, and I think, yeah. I think we go through life and everybody's like, I'll be happy when I'll be happy when I'll be happy yeah. when, and I promise you, I'm not that old, but I'm getting older and I'm, I'm in my 47th year and I've got some experience you're not going to be happy when, man, you're just not, you're Good flat bad, out yeah. not going to be happy when, and it's about having those experiences. Um, and just like Tyrell and the Navy SEAL that, that just added on our podcast, a, a, a friend of mine, he got that knock on his door and his son was in a motorcycle crash and he died. Mm -hmm. And what was their last conversation like? And what was his last experience that he got to have like, and did he miss a moment because he was like, I'll be happy when. And now that individual is gone and we life isn't guaranteed. And there there's dude tomorrow, both Tyrell and I, you drew, we may not wake up tomorrow, man. Um, yeah. it, it's not guaranteed. And we just have to not take for granted the things we get to do today. Every single day, man, I wake up, I put my hand over my heart. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I take a deep breath and I, and I say this, I say today, I get to do it again. I get another yeah. shot to be better today. And, and I think that's an attitude that we need to adopt here is like, no, man, I, I get to do it again today. I get to try one more time on this beautiful earth. I get to have a connection with people. I get to relate to people. I get, I get to make mistakes. I get, to, I get to forgive myself and I get to show up and I get to have experiences today. And I think that's what life is about is having those, those experiences. Amen. So, so, so Drew, tell me. Like you're obviously there's, there's so, this is such a deep <laughs> process. You went through. Is, huh? Like if you could, if you could just narrow down the top three things, like what's the top three takeaways that you gained through this experience? I mean, the physical aspect was obviously super hard. Um, yeah. It's interesting when you said like your identity kind of got, I, I kind of went through that a little bit too. I let myself get a little out yeah. of shape and it was hard for me. I'm like, Oh, I, like this is not me. <laughs> it's hard. And it was nothing compared to what you went through. What, like, what are your top three takeaways? I like, couldn't imagine yeah, putting uh, 75, 75 pounds. would That's kill me. I can't believe that. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and not being able, not being able to work out too. That was hard. I would say the top three things are that, that physical transformation is way more mental and emotional than we think we've already kind of talked about this. Um, and so being prepared to deal with those inner demons, uh, unfortunately that's the key to really, um, transforming, you know, into you know, true lasting change that you want is overcoming those mental and emotional hurdles, those old patterns that you've inherited, right, over time, and you've been programmed to think that way about yourself. That forgiving, right there is the forgiving really hard yourself, work. Forgiving yourself for your past. Oh, 100%. Forgiving yourself, of, forgiving best, others too. Yes. Yeah, I think that's one of the greatest gifts that someone could could do for themselves and others is to like let go of the mistakes you made this life and this purpose of life is to make those mistakes. That's, that's how you learn. And that's how you grow. And unfortunately with, with all the travels and experiences that I've had and people come up to me and share, share their life experience with me. And it, it always stems back to something they did 20 years ago that they're still holding on to. And I'm just like, everybody listening, like the greatest gift you can give yeah. yourself is to 
to talk it out, write it out, journal it out, do the things that Drew's talking about and literally forgive yourself for your past. Didn't mean to cut you off. Number three. No, no, that's okay. Um, no, no, hold on. I think I was on number two. <laughs> um, where was I? Okay. So uh, there's, there's so many things I wanted to say to that, uh, but I'll, I'll go to the other two lessons. One that, that food addiction is real and that we all kind of escape. We have to become aware of what our, you know, escapes are, right. And just be honest with ourselves about yeah. like, Hey, food is my escape, you know, because there's a good quote by Anthony DeMello. He says, what you are aware of, you're in control of, and what you're not aware of is in control of you. And so until you become aware of what your patterns and your triggers are and being honest with yourself about like, okay, yes, I do use food as an escape and I do use this as drug. And I'm usually triggered when I'm stressed out, when I fight with my, with my wife or my kids or my financial situation is overwhelming. That's when I'm triggered and becoming aware of those triggers. Then you become in control of like, okay, I'm triggered right now. I see what's happening. I'm feeling the need to go eat this cake or this ice cream. Um, and now maybe I'll go for a walk instead, or maybe I'll call a friend, or maybe I'll talk to someone or, or deal with it a different way. That's an uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And then I would say the last the last thing that I learned is that um, the key to transform is to train your brain to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And yeah. so you have to get uncomfortable. If you want any kind of change in your life, you're going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And this is why I love things like even just a cold shower, which sucks balls when you're in Utah and it's freezing cold and I get it like it just like that's why I love Wim Hof like 30 seconds of just cold exposure is a, a way to train your brain like okay this sucks I'm not gonna die though and maybe if we breathe through it and slow our heart rate down we can realize that we're safe that we aren't gonna die and that this is just something that's training our brain to be like okay the next time I'm craving the ice cream eating the chicken and broccoli it's uncomfortable and um, in the moment it is but I know that in the end, it's going to be better. And then you start having these little wins. You're like, okay, now when I'm in the gym, I'm doing this hard workout. I'm huffing and puffing. My muscles are sore. I'm sweating. Now you're like, okay, we got this. We've been through this before. We've been through this uncomfortable thing. Let's keep pushing. And then you're like, oh, now I can do more. I can do better. And I can, you know, expand my, um, you know, my physical health, my mental, emotional, spiritual health. I can do these harder things. Once you start training your brain to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And so those were, those were a few of the lessons that I learned. There's obviously a lot more. Oh, I remember what I was going to say now, James, and I'm just going to add this in there is, um, it's not your fault what happened to you, you know, whether you inherited a certain type of way of thinking, but it's your responsibility ultimately to heal those wounds. Because if you don't heal those wounds, you're going to bleed on those who didn't cut you. So whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, your grandkids, if you don't heal what hurt you, you're going to bleed on those who are innocent. And this is why it's so important to do the work because you're worth it. Your friends, family, kids, loved ones are worth it as well to not have to deal with the stuff, the unhealed stuff that you haven't healed yet. Um, and that's why it's so important to do, you know, it's, it's important to work out and get healthy, but it's important to work in and do the inner work as well. Yeah, I, I love all of that. And, you know, we, you started that quote with, was it, it's not, it's not your fault what happened to you. Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, it's not your fault what happened to you. And, and uh, if I was to just like, quote something together i think the finish of that quote would be um but we get to choose how we react to it and it's yep. our responsibility to to navigate the emotions and everything around it appropriately so that we can overcome those things and become better and not pass that on and like you said drip drip on those that that yeah. didn't choose that path either um yeah I, i'll share a quick story i 
about being uncomfortable intentionally. And it's a huge part of my platform. It's one of the biggest things that I preach is like, look, in order to become more mentally, number one question I get, I've said this a thousand times, how do I become more <laughs> yeah. mentally tough? It's through yeah. having an experience and taking action and being present in your life and intent and everything that we've talked about. Well, I got this phone call. I got this phone call from our charity that we raise money for Operation Underground Railroad. You're familiar with them. Mm. Yes. And um, yes. they call me up and they're like, hey, we're doing an executive fight night. We want you to be one of the fighters in it. And we want you to be the main event. And immediately I was like, nope, I'm out. No chance. I'm not doing that. And then I'm like, well, wait a second. I'd be a complete hypocrite if I didn't yeah. say yes to this opportunity, because the reason I wanted to say no was because it a thousand percent made me feel uncomfortable yeah. to not only punch somebody in the face, but get punched in the face myself. And so I said, yes, the fight's in two weeks. Um, it'll be a week from when we air this Hell podcast. Yeah. May 13th, cool, if it's going to be streamed live, it's on EFN Boxing. Um, it'll be on our Instagram and theirs. But anyway, my point is, is my, I, I go to the gym, I start sparring and I'm like, I'm beating the crap out of this bag. Like this dude doesn't have a chance. And then I got into the ring on a sparring session and I got punched in the face. <laughs> and, and the greatest quote of all time that now really resonates with me is, what is it? It's by Mike Tyson. Got a plan until you get punched in the punched face. In the face. Exactly. <laughs> it's the greatest quote in humanity because it's it's, it's so true. true. <laughs> and it meant nothing. It meant nothing to me prior to this yeah. experience. But until it made you get me punched in the face. They get punched in the face, and I got punched in the face. And then I had another issue was I couldn't punch the other person in the face. I, I really struggled with that. And so, like, it's been an amazing nine week journey for me to doing something that completely makes me feel uncomfortable to the point where like I get, I get hot sweats and I get terrified if it's sparring day and I've got to go to the gym that night. I'm like, Holy crap, I don't want to do this. And then I get in there and I'm like, yeah, hit me again. You know? And so it's that, it's that initial fear of doing something and then being uncomfortable and slowly I'm overcoming that. And I, and I just had to change the way I looked at it mentally. And I'm like, no, this is a game. This is a game and he's going to be weaving and bobbing and I got to look for openings and the game is to score points. And I'm not, I'm not out to hurt this guy. This is a game though. And can I, can I prepare myself differently mentally, physically than he is to overcome this fear? And so I'm still terrified. Trust me. <laughs> I still don't like yeah. punching anybody in the face and I'm still not comfortable getting punched in the face. Um, but I, I love that sentiment. I couldn't be more passionate about it in terms of, Look, if you want to grow, if you want to have experience, if you want to change, if you want to show up in life and have that intent, that purpose, you have to do things that make you feel uncomfortable. And I think truly the goal in life, and then I'll stop rambling, but the goal in life is to do those hard things intentionally so that they become normal yes. so that when real life comes at you and it is a true crisis situation that's loaded with chaos, you are like, bam, flex. I've got this because... I've shown up intentionally over a long period of time and I'm ready for this, man. I can handle this. And I think that's the whole point. I think that's what you're trying to get to is like, yeah. look, beauty and happiness and all that is, is it comes from suffering. It comes yeah. from that change. It comes from being broken down and rebuilding back up. I truly think that's the purpose and you've articulated it beautifully. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just want to add Amen. on top of that, like huge, like dude, blown away by you, obviously love the Thank story, you. love who Appreciate you are, that, yeah. who yes, you've sir, become. Sir, sir. And uh, if I just add that, I just keep having this quote run through my mind. And it's just, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And you were able to do that. You were like, hey, look, I want to learn. I want to grow. You change, had massive changes physically, emotionally, spiritually. But now you're helping those other people realize, hey, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Like you've got to make changes in your life if you truly want to grow and experience. I, I want to touch on amazing. I want to touch on two things real quick, too. Um, okay. One, the you mentioned this. 
body and mind, they're both amazing and incredible if you give them the tools and the opportunity to make that change. And if you guys want to see like change, both negative and positive, you've got to go to the website that, we're, that are in the show notes. You've got to check out this transformation because it's truly incredible. But wouldn't, wouldn't you say like you can to like no matter where anybody is on their journey right now, they can show up tomorrow and start their journey and make those incredible changes in your life. What, it, it, would you say that's, that's a true statement, Drew? 100%. It's never too late to start treating your body the way it deserves because you, you know, life's too short to be at war with your body. So many people hate their bodies and they're just at war and I get it. I understand why people think that way. We've been programmed as a society to focus so much on physical appearance and, and, and our body image, right. And our body composition, how much fat we have. But at the end of the day, if you're at war with your body, life sucks. And you just, if you just hate yourself all day, life, no matter what, is it's going to be miserable. And so this is what I'm talking about. I was like flipping the switch and learning how to love yourself and your body the way it is, not saying one day when I get ripped and shredded, then I'll be happy, right? It's loving it now and then using that as motivation to get yourself to do hard things, right? Get uncomfortable. And that's what I want everyone to know, whether you're 40, 50, 60, 70, doesn't matter. It's never too late to start treating your body that way because you deserve it. And you'd be like, oh man, now my physical health is better, which leads to better mental health, right? We all know the best antidepressant antidepressant is exercise um, more so than, than pretty much anything out there. So physical health leads to better mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, and then better mental health and emotional health leads to better physical health because then you're like not stressed out about, you know, working out today or not you're not like oh i'm really you know feeling down so i'm not gonna you know eat the chicken and broccoli i'm gonna eat the ice cream instead so when it kind of helps each other out the the parallels between the physical mental emotional and spiritual health they're all so connected instead we see them as as a society is so separate like go to the gym over here and go to church over there and go, go to therapist over there and we don't connect them but they're so interconnected more than we think one of the one of the greatest things I did during my mental struggle and, and weight gain and journey back was getting outside and riding my bike, um, yeah. not being competitive, not looking at numbers, disconnecting from technology and the, the quick seven second videos and just getting outside. And that was my form of meditation. That was my form of Zen. And it I, I, I truly attribute it to saving my life. Like it was just a time in my life where I needed to just get outside and I didn't yeah. have to smash the pedals. I didn't, I was just outside breathing fresh air, disconnecting and just thinking, being inside my, my thoughts and taking that, th you know, that 3d view or perspective that you said, like taking a, a moment and like looking at what your thoughts truly are and, and what your belief system is. And like really doing a life analysis um, for me was, was so great. And to be able to check out and with no distractions, there is no substitute to getting outside and doing work for, for mental health. There isn't anything that will trump it. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would challenge anybody to find really tangible physical evidence that proves otherwise. Yeah, for sure. yeah. let, let me say that this question really quick. And you, you've, you've had to go through this journey twice. Um, and then coming back, how long would you say it takes to change your palate to where it's like you oh, stop <laughs> craving those things anymore, right? Because because that first week or two weeks or however long you're going to tell us it takes is got to be the hardest one because you're so used to that that taste, that craving, that bump, that yeah. hit. And then once you're like healthy for, you know, for a long time and you haven't 
partake in those things, you try something and you're like, holy cow, that is so sweet. Where <laughs> yeah. before it was like not even registering on your thing because it became accustomed to. So I guess the question is, what's that time frame that people should expect as they're transitioning out of this maybe unhealthy lifestyle and choices they're making to yeah. where it becomes, okay, my palate's now changed and this has become easier. Yeah, I would say the first two to four weeks are going to be pretty much hell because uh, your body's going through. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie, your body's going through withdrawal experiences. Just like someone getting off of drugs, it's not like the next day they feel amazing. Like, oh, no more drugs, I feel great. Your body's craving the high that it's had for so long, and when you switch from eating, you know, highly processed junk food to then eating real whole foods, yeah, it's gonna suck. And the first two weeks for me were always miserable. I had headaches. I was grumpy. I was moody. Was not as happy as I was. The food did not taste nearly as good. Um, and so I would say after about two to four weeks is when the cravings became more manageable, right? There wasn't so many highs and lows. It was more even keeled after that. Um, and then from there, yeah, your body does adjust and adapt. That's what I'm, I'm talking about. Our bodies are the ultimate adaptation machines. And so if you change your environment, you stay consistent, things will become easier. They will become more manageable. And that's why it's so important to have an accountability partner or a support system, someone to help you through that, that two to four week period where it is going to get dark it might your body might fight back against you saying no we like the way we felt you know from the high of these foods or this these drugs right for so long and it's it's hard it's weird your body does that to you because you think oh i'm treating my body uh with kindness and i'm eating healthy foods and it does not feel good right away so two to four so, weeks is kind of like that transition so from your perspective like i really want your opinion on this um mm -hmm. cheat meals like does, yes is, you think it's cold <laughs> turkey or are you like nah wean yourself off slow it depends on the person, like, right? Like not every person is, uh, that eats cake is going to become a food addict and not everyone, per, everyone that drinks alcohol is going to become an alcoholic. Right. So it's different for each person. For me, I could eat, you know, a, a huge cheat meal, pizza and ice cream. And then the next day go back to eating chicken and broccoli. If you're a real food addict, those are the type of people that have to be careful. Like, yeah. like, Oh, having a cheat meal sends them down this spiral. Like I know some people that, you know, they, they were alcoholics and now they just can't drink alcohol anymore. They can't have any sip of it. Right. I would say that's permission. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's the minority of people, but I would say, yeah, a cheat meal every now and then, like for me, I live more of a balanced lifestyle where I'm like, okay, my daughters are, when we're going to make pancakes and bacon and eggs for breakfast or have birthday cake at my daughter's birthday party or go out with some buddies and maybe have a drink, right. Or two. Um, but for me, I'm very aware. And this is the biggest thing we talked about intention intention is everything with food, drugs, alcohol, like what is your intention? If your intention is to use this food as an escape, right? Like as a form of escape and you do that time and time again, and you're eating chocolate cake at midnight when no one else is around and you're, you know, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, eating your emotions that right there probably is not the healthiest way to escape if that's your intention. But if your intention is to kind of like break bread with people that you love and have an experience and make memories and you're eating your grandma's homemade pie and, you know, you're out with your buddies and having a few drinks like every once in a while, there's a time and place for that. I think that intention is different than the intention of using it as an escape time anytime you feel anything uncomfortable. So be Absolutely. honest with yourself about what your intentions are. I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. I like too. That's awesome. Um, I, I, I had a I had a brilliant question that I that I, that I, wanted, <laughs> to, that I wanted to end yeah, with. Yeah. That, Too much chocolate cake. Now it's, exactly. now it's oh, I know what it was, uh, and then we'll we'll maybe end with with this, yeah. this train thought train of thought. Um, what what is something you know? You just mentioned accountability partners. What is something that could really help people achieve success in those first two weeks? Like, what are yeah. just like one or two things that 
if you do X, Y, Z, it, it'll help you. Uh, it won't be bulletproof, but it'll help you have more success during those first two weeks as you're transitioning the palate to uh, healthier foods. Journal everything that you eat during those first two weeks and show someone, whoever it is, and be honest with yourself about who it is, whether it's a coach, whether it's a friend, family member, whoever it is, be like, hey, can I use you as an accountability partner? I'm going to write down what I eat every single day and I have to report to you. And if you're reporting to someone and you have to show someone, it's going to make you more accountable. And if you're more accountable, you're less likely in those moments of being triggered to give in to those temptations and it wanting to escape and fall back into those old patterns. So journaling, I think, is huge and having someone to report that to the first two weeks. It, it, for me, because we do a lot of like one-on-one coaching, I have some coaches that help me with the one-on-one coaching aspect of my business and um, the daily check-ins, the daily accountable, uh, accountability check-ins with their food journals is is huge because now people are becoming aware of like, oh man, I do eat like, you know, three tablespoons of peanut butter instead of one tablespoon or I thought I was eating 2000 calories. Looks like I'm eating 3500 calories after, you know, reporting this and writing it all down. So journaling, food journaling is really important. Yeah, I love that. What's That's one advice? What's one thing if a person just flat out is on an island and has no access to accountability? If they have no access to accountability, they're just on. Like an they island. have no friends. <laughs> yeah, I have zero no friends. friends. Yeah, um, I was asking I was still for a friend. Say, asking yeah, for a friend. I would still say the journaling aspect. So at least you're you can hold yourself accountable. You have the ability to do that. And that's what I'm talking about. Like becoming the observer of your thoughts is super powerful. And so that's what I would say. Be accountable to yourself. Write it down so that you can kind of, you know, keep yourself accountable and and motivate yourself to do the hard things every single day. I I love that. Knowledge is is key. And and I tell people all the time and, and, you know, they're like, where should I start? And I'm like, just start with honestly tracking your food. And, and I, I say this and people push back on me and I'm like, I guarantee you every person in this room that thinks you're eating 2,500 calories, you're eating 3,500 <laughs> yeah. to 5,000. I promise yeah. you, like you just have no idea how much you're consuming the, the handful of this, the grab of this, the scoop of this, yeah. you know, and that's the biggest problem is we're eating too much food as a society. And so I love that accountability track, track, track. If you don't know what you're eating, how much you're eating and the what it's falling into, there's zero chance you're going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, and so can. I love that accountability, even if it's to yourself, but tracking, like people have like business goals and financial goals. We need to have food yeah. goals. Well, yeah, you can never improve what you don't measure. Like yeah. if you're not yeah. measuring it, you can't improve it. So true. Yeah, well, Drew, so I, true. I totally appreciate your time. I know you're super busy and building your business. Where can our audience find you, benefit from you, be blessed by you, learn mm-hmm. from you? Yeah, super simple. Everything's really consistent. It's just fit to fat to fit. So F-I-T number two, F-A-T number two, F-I-T. And that's my website, my all my social media handles. It's my first book. It's my podcast, The Fit to Fat to Fit Experience. And so just type in fit to fat to fit. You'll find me. So everywhere. Love it, man. Amen. Appreciate you. Love you. You've been on a journey. Thanks, guys. Much love, um, too. And I can't, I can't wait to be a guest on your podcast. Truly honored. Yes. Such yeah. an honor, man. Coming up very soon. You're, you're 100% inspiration to all of us. Uh, thanks, Tyrell. Really appreciate it. It was good meeting you too, man. Such a pleasure having you here. Thanks, hey, thanks for everything you've done. Like, yeah, honestly, make lives sure, you've changed. Make, Huge deal. Make sure you hit us up when you're in Utah and we'll, uh, we'll go break bread. Yeah. And good luck with that boxing match, man. You got <laughs> all right, I will, man. I'll be sending yeah. you videos from the, from the crowd. I want to see. I want to see. Yeah. Tyrell, Tyrell, Tyrell will be front row heckling me. He'll make sure. He'll make sure I'm humbled. That's for sure. All right, man. Thanks to you. Have an okay, amazing day. See you guys.